My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. There is a subtle shift happening in the local markets here where people like yourselves as well um, who are starting to go, well, hang on a sec, there's an opportunity in the market for people to, you know, be the bank and take advantage of opportunities that the bigger banks, the, the traditional banks just are not nimble enough to take advantage of. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with Amazon best-selling author, chartered accountant and founder of the Freedom Warrior program, Selena Kilkarni. We'll discuss her passion for private lending and her favorite part of the strategy and why it may be time to throw out your property investing handbook. Kilkarni believes there's a lot to love about private lending and hopes that the strategy becomes more popular in Australia. What I love about private lending is that um, it's effectively how you become the bank and you're like anyone who's been around for a long time realizes that banks are one of the parties for every property transaction that just don't lose. They have the highest level of control. Um, they put the least amount of time into the deal and if, if it all turns to custard, they get paid no matter what. So lending deals, which are not as commonplace here in Australia as they are overseas, um, is one of the most powerful uh, strategies that you can employ, um, particularly if you, if you have known uh, you know, methods for, for transacting those sorts of deals. But yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty cool to be the bank instead of being the, the person who's running the deal and trying to make the deal work. And I agree with you on that side of things because we both has, have experienced firsthand what it's like to be part of that and be a lender you know, to the borrower. But I guess my question to you would be is why do you think not many people, not as many investors actually do this type of deal? You know, Why is it there are not more of us who are actually lending out money as much as they, we could like the banks? That's a great question, Tyrone, and, and I think it probably lends itself to why there's a lot of strategies that the average investor doesn't undertake, and it's because the way that the local property market has evolved over the last 100 or so years is we, we've become very rigid around how we transact property, and the reason we've become rigid is because we're concerned about people getting taken advantage of or 
you know, titles or deeds not being transferred properly. So the way our system has evolved here is there is literally one way to transfer title of ownership. It has to be done properly. It has to be registered. And the, obviously the pros of that are that, you know, it, it's very hard to get screwed over or for someone to take advantage of you. But the downside to that is that all of the associated industries such as banking and lending and so forth, they've almost had to develop their systems and how they work around that method of transacting. Whereas if you contrast that to other countries where the ability to move property ownership around and and structure deals and trade debt as an asset, the way that they have evolved means that it's just much more commonplace for people to take advantage of that. So I think, you know, it's a double-edged sword. On one hand, I think it offers a lot of protection to the average investor, but on the other hand, it, it makes the system very rigid and, and you would have to go out and figure out how to navigate the current system in order to do that effectively over here and that's probably why there's not much of it. And that's true. I mean, I'll talk from, say, maybe an investment point of view as an investor going to the bank and asking to borrow money and the amount of paperwork, the amount of time that's involved in order to be able to get the applications filled in, uh, the the back and forth of the checks and so forth, you know, it's it's a good month's worth of work and sometimes you don't always get approved as well. Like I, I, from my recent experience, I had to apply to three separate different mortgage um, lenders to be able to get a, a loan and that was just insanely time-consuming. I can tell you I spent probably a good month or two just to be able to get that paperwork together and hence the reason why it's frustrating from an investment point of view to be able to go out and get a loan because there's just so much paperwork and then after that, you know, there's so many lending criteria that they have to meet they, they want literally everything behind you from your serviceability of your income to all the way to all your assets and all that. And you think to yourself, wow, you know, they, they are really trying to protect themselves more than trying to lend out the money to the people. But they, know, they have so many people wanting to get that. So I can talk from that point of view is that it's not a very easy process and, and hence the reason why I think lending isn't so easy to be done from that point of view. But if you actually find the right people and, and say you know you come together maybe it's from from the private lending institution or private lending space it, it seems like it's a lo- little bit um not not as regulated i can definitely tell you from that but at the same time there's a lot of potentially a lot of money to be sort of made from from the interest and if you structure the deals correctly still following the same principles of actually getting a mortgage and a loan what are your thoughts on that I think that's a really interesting thread of, of thinking. I definitely agree with you. Working with the banks is is challenging. Even if you have a lot of capital and equity and income, they still make you jump through a lot of hoops before they lend you a cent. And I think, uh, you know, the, the, the overarching lesson from all of that is the banks don't lose. So if you want to become a lender or you want to act as a lender, you want to be thinking like a bank. And that's a difficult transition for a lot of people to make. Um, you want to dot your I's and you want to cross your T's. And, you know, what I would say is, it, you know, there is a subtle shift happening in the local markets here where people like yourselves as well um, who are starting to go, well, hang on a sec, there's an opportunity in the market for people to, you know, be the bank and take advantage of opportunities that the bigger banks, the the traditional banks just are not nimble enough to take advantage of. 
Yeah, it's true. And I just just had a conversation with um, a founder of a company, a fintech company, where they're able to also fund and and provide landlords with rents twelve months in advance. And I guess that kind of opportunity came up was because him himself, when he went through to get lending for his property investment property, he felt frustrated because he was not able to access the finance quickly and not able to access enough to be able to do his future development because he actually bought a block of land previously that he wanted to subdivide it. But after all costs and getting all the loans and fees and everything all paid out, he was left with almost nothing. And that kind of made him think, wow, you know, there's got to be a better way, one, to be able to get finance from somewhere and, and two, to be able to get that much quicker and with a less of a hassle. And I think, you know, a lot of new new tech companies, I can say, are, are thinking of really outside of Square to do that to make it easier. You know, I, I know working with so many different um, investors and also meeting so many different people, there have been sort of more online kind of faster ways to get funds you know even though there is still going to be important checks and so forth and you still speak to a human to do all that it's not going to be as hard as to go to like the, you know, the big four you know to get the funding and so forth so yeah like what what's your experience been like with with this space like what have you done you know, I've done lots of different kinds of lending deals but I guess the thing is I've not been the one out there finding the deals um, what I love about this strategy probably my number one love of this strategy is You've got zero obligations to maintain the property um, and it's generally a set and forget sort of strategy. You you do your due diligence up front, you put the deal in place, you put the paperwork in place and then you just collect the repayments and then get your principal back at the end. Um, I've tended to lean more into shorter term deals but as my uh, confidence in that space has grown, you know, I'm, I'm certainly open to longer deals but I think the reality is that the reason that um, people seek finance outside of traditional lending is because they don't tick all the boxes that a traditional lender is looking for. So inherently, it doesn't make them a bad person or a bad deal. It just means they fall outside of traditional lending. And, and so if you can find a way to vet and, and do good due diligence on those sorts of people, often they're prepared to pay a premium. And with the right security and the right, uh, I guess, support, um, they can be just as lucrative, if not more lucrative, than you know some of the deals that the the banks are hamstrung to a degree, because they're regulated by the central banking system and they can't raise their rates above a certain level, as we've seen with you know like inquiries that have happened in in recent times. What the banks do is because they know they can't, you know, it's a competitive market and they can't be more than a couple of points above the, the central bank. What they do is they, they try and make, make money off us other ways, like charging us fees and penalties and things like that. Um, whereas I feel that in the private lending space, it, it's, it's much more transparent in that I know as a, as a lender that I'm not you know, I'm not going to do this for nothing. It's it's certainly not a, a loan that you would be trying to make at uh, commercial lending rates. You want a premium because, frankly, it's it's a riskier proposition. The banks can afford to be picky and conservative about who and how they lend because they're not charging as much. Whereas, um, you know, we're taking potentially more risk on in some of these lending deals, depending on how they're structured. Um, and, you know, you want to be compensated for that. 
and because also to looking at from a point of view that it could be more of a short term and also the the amount that you get back from it is probably contributing towards a larger type of deal um, then it's actually a small amount so maybe i'll give you an example like if you're getting maybe say a million dollars from the bank and you're getting charged at say five percent interest rate compared to say maybe loaning say two hundred thousand on top of the million dollars at a higher rate say like 20 percent or something like that when you actually add those two interest rates together or those interest amounts together and you average it out it actually comes you know maybe to seven or eight percent which is only a small you know percentage above and for them when they look at a deal like that as a developer or maybe a, as a borrower to be able to get those funds it helps them to be able to move forward into their deal further down the track because otherwise they'd one be stuck and they're stuck with the million dollars which they're paying and they have to wait 12 18 months before they can get funding elsewhere whereas that to them that 12 months is time is a cost and that cost could potentially be sped up if you actually be able to find private lenders to be able to support that shortfall say 200,000 they need to be able to help them move through the project because that 12 months is profit for them you know if they don't get moving that time lost is is, is a huge huge you know potential problem for them for the development that they're doing and that's what we've discovered is that they're looking for a faster and easier way still meeting all the requirements that the first tier bank or the the larger bank is um, being able to because obviously the banks won't lend it to them but they're only limited because the banks maybe might only lend them up to say 50 percent or 60 percent because of the commercial loan and they're just short for to complete the rest of the stuff that they need so there's that kind of little gap that we're kind of looking at from that point of view Coming up after the break, we'll dive into the possible risks that come along with private lending. Whether you're talking about a $100,000 property or a $2 million property, you know, one of the first things that I'm looking at is, you know, if, if things turned to custard, am I going to get paid? The most important things you need to consider and why when going into a deal. Knowing uh, what state you're investing in, whether the legal system is landlord friendly whether it is easy to go in and take possession, those sorts of things become really important considerations. The other market she learnt in and why you need to be a certain type of person to run private lending is a full-time business. My experience and where I really learned the, the fundamentals have, have, was in another market. And I'm, I've always been aware that it does exist here in Australia, but um, friends of mine that have been professional mezzanine fund lenders uh you know i've watched how they've done it and that's next i'm taran sham and you're listening to property investory hey property investor is your cash or equity currently earning you one to two percent per annum sitting in the bank what if I said to you that you can do better? To find out more, simply register your interest to become a money partner at propertyinvestory.com. Right now, there are great opportunities in the property market and I'm looking for money partners who want to invest to get a high return with low risk on their money for 6 months. Register your interest by visiting propertyinvestory.com. Kilkarni shares her thoughts on lending much larger amounts in Australia than in other markets she's worked in 
and how that larger amount doesn't translate to a larger percentage of the property's value. The think in the local market is the price of real estate in Australia is very, very high. So the numbers are going to be bigger. So, you know, if you're looking at a million dollar property or a two million dollar property and you're looking at trying to lend, uh, you know, a hundred to four hundred thousand, it's a small percentage of the value of the property. The sorts of deals that I've uh, tended to do in the lending space have been much, much smaller than that. Um, deals starting from as little as 20,000 up to, on average, typically 80 to 100,000. So, you know, much smaller, but I think the mechanics and the principles are very similar. Um, you know, often there are, you know, it's important to mention to people there are kind of two ways to kind of address a, a lending deal. One is that you're the primary lender, you you hold the title of the property and you're in, you're in first lien position. And if something goes wrong, you can swoop in and you take that property. And then the other type of lending is where you're in second position. So there might be a bank or another lender ahead of you and you are basically in second in line. If something goes wrong, um, you need to step in and, you know, understand whether or not you're going to get your money. So one of the things that is crucial to consider if you're thinking about uh, being a lender is what kind of equity cushion is there in the deal. Whether you're talking about a $100,000 property or a $2 million property, you know, one of the first things that I'm looking at is, you know, if, if things turned to custard, am I going to get paid? And so I'm, I'm constantly looking at, I mean, yes, there's the due diligence on the, the, the deal sponsor and the environment and the geography and the industries that that you know that run in that community but I think you know the first thing is like okay how leveraged is this deal if the market collapsed tomorrow or if this particular developer or you know sponsor fell over am I going to get my money and and so I think sometimes people don't understand what being in second position means um, sometimes when they do understand they don't like it um, so I think it's about, yeah, making sure you, you're comfortable with where you sit in the pecking order. I think that's crucial. And I actually just want to add to that as well. Typically, the first lender would usually be lending at a, a, a larger amount just depending on the deal and also to at a lower rate, which is the reason why for them it's because it's sort of lower risk, I guess. That's why they're able to get um, at a better rate than, than that and I think at the same time, they're aware that you know if something does go wrong, there's plenty of equity in there. But the, usually, as you mentioned, with the second lenders that do come in, they would be expecting because they are taking a slightly little bit more risk that they are coming in second position and therefore, to them, they would be looking at ensuring that the equity is enough to be able to cover the first and also the second if anything does go on, plus also the interest costs and legal fees and whatever they need to pay out as well. So for for what I'm, you know, in my personal experience, I usually look for most deals a minimum, or sorry, a maximum of say 75% LVR, giving us about a 25% equity position. If, if the value is too small and there's not enough, and, and I actually had recently had a discussion with some of our legal team here and they said, look, most times, if they got to go to litigation, you would factor in at most between seventy, say, to seventy to hundred k for litigation if it needs to go to all the way to the Supreme Court for whatever reason. So we're always factoring that in now for any of our deals that we're looking at, you know, for any private lending. 
But yeah, I'd be curious, Celine, what, what kind of examples have you invested into or what kind of deals? I think the point you make is a really good one and, and that kind of um, this whole thing of if something goes wrong on an Australian deal, you have to go through the court system and, it, and it's expensive. Whereas the deals that I do in the environments, say for example in the States, because it's a more commonly understood kind of arena, you don't need to go to court. You just take the property. I mean, the paperwork's pretty black and white. It's it's almost the equivalent of evicting a tenant sort of thing. It's not it's not a high cost, high time consuming kind of thing. So the sorts of deals that I've tended to go into, if I've got like small amounts of capital, I'll I'll happily go in to a lending deal for let's say a twenty thousand dollar one would be kind of bottom of the ladder, twenty thousand dollars and I'm in second position, but the overall um, loan-to-value ratio might be 60%. And 60% today, not 60% on completion or 60% at the end of the round, no, 60% today, so that's important. Um, one of the things I've seen um, some people do is bring me deals where they're showing me when it's finished that the uh, equity cushion will be there, but there's no equity cushion now, so you just want to be really careful of that. The other kind of lending deals that I like are um, still sub five years, and so we call—I still call that a longer-term lending deal. So the shorter-term ones are, you know, anything under two years, and then two to five years I, I call long, but it could be longer than that. And that's where you're in first position, uh, and uh, effectively with those sorts of deals, you, you're getting well above the, you know, legislative rate of whatever like you know if the rate's three four percent you're getting sort of eight to fifteen percent per annum and in those sorts of deals if something goes wrong I know I can just walk in take the property and and so knowing uh what state you're investing in whether the legal system is landlord friendly whether it is easy to go in and take possession those sorts of things become really important considerations and so lending deals are super powerful because they give you a level of leverage and control that is hard to match. I think the downside that's worth uh, mentioning is if you're going into a long-term lending deal, so you you could potentially uh, structure a 30-year mortgage with someone who, for whatever reason, doesn't want to or, or can't get lending through conventional means and you might structure a loan with them and Let's say, for example, you do a 30-year loan at 8%. Now, the problem with that is that obviously, you know, they are paying a premium and um, you're helping that person get into a home. They probably bring a sizable deposit to the table so they've got skin in the game. But the problem with it is if we run into an environment with high uh, inflation, your repayments don't change. You know, you have you're still going to only get that 8%. So one of the things to bear in mind is that lending deals are great and can be lucrative, but I don't know that you would necessarily as an investor put all your eggs in that basket because uh, you know it's not really a hedge against inflation. If inflation kicks in, um, you still get paid whatever the negotiated amount is. Whereas on the other side of the table, when you hold real property, if we have a period of prices going up and inflation going up, then theoretically rents should go up too. So that is a hedge against inflation. So it's an interesting, I mean, it's a—it's probably a minor 
point, but it's something to, to understand. Yeah, it's definitely very interesting that you mentioned that as well too. And I guess I'm, I'm also looking at this from a strategic point of view because ultimately, you know, as you said, you wouldn't be putting all your eggs into this basket to do it. It's more sort of to help you potentially depending on what you want to do with your portfolio, but to sort of help maybe use this to generate some additional capital, additional income, which will help eventually pay down your portfolio or use it for other means as well because I like what we've had these previous discussions as well and there's a lot of episodes we've already done as well with Selena and myself talking about the different strategies but in the different strategies we do it's ultimately good look at your end goal you know what is it that you want to achieve out of say you know having a property portfolio and if the current market you know to buy a property and then just to wait 10 years is, is being your strategy you might have to be waiting for a very long long time but if you have some additional equity or capital that you can deploy and, and use this strategy e.g. like private lending and generate say maybe you know an extra 10 or 15% extra on top every year just from this and use those funds that you generate from that interest and pay down your, your portfolio and build that asset base up further this might be a, a faster way to accelerate and pay down and it, it's it's something I've really been enjoying learning from Selena because she's shown me the other ways that you can do it. I never thought that was possible to do it that way because I've only been learning about you know just doing developments and buying property and all that. But these alternative strategies is actually a very smart way, you know. And if you structure it well and do it correctly, you can actually you know pay, reap a lot of benefits from it too. I think. Um it's all really, you know, all this education that you share, Tyrone, is is so great. And, you know, my thinking around alternative is that it, it's not intended to replace traditional investing. It's a bolt-on. And I think the reality for investors, if they want to really build meaningful wealth, life-changing wealth, where they have the, the freedom to choose what they do with their lives, then what alternative investing does is it speeds things up. So instead of needing to create a plan which might take you, I mean, objectively, most of the people that I work with who are higher net worth, who are business owners, who are doing really well, a lot of them are still 25 to 35 years away from hitting their goals, even if they're doing all the right things by the property investing playbook. And what alternative does is it just allows you to access a more liquid, um, lucrative sector of the market that's not well understood, that's not well known, but that exactly what you said, just speeds things up, allows you to um, increase the velocity of your money and get it back and reuse it, whether it's lifestyle or paying down debt, so that you've got that choice to, you know, do what you want with your time sooner. I'd love to be able to sort of just jump into maybe a maybe an example that you've done. You mentioned that you've invested some in, in the past in the US. Have you also done any in the local market within Australia as well too? Well, I've certainly been looking at your deals, Tyrone, and uh, they are, I find those super, super interesting. Um, no, my, my experience and where I really learned the, the fundamentals have, have, was in another market. And I'm, I've always been aware that it does exist here in Australia, but... Um, friends of mine that have been professional mezzanine fund lenders, uh, you know, I've watched how they've done it and, you know, you, you definitely have to be a certain kind of, of person to, to really run it as a full-time business. Um, but what I, I think what I appreciate about what, what you're trying to do is you're really trying to facilitate the deals 
um, which I think is a in in what I've seen is a is a new sector of the market for for Australians. Yeah, thank you for for, for sharing that as well, Selena. It, it's interesting because with I guess the last year with twenty twenty, a lot of things have happened. The market has changed. The banks have also changed as well in their lending criteria, which has opened up a gap in the market. And this is where the opportunities have lie, and that's the reason why it came across to to us, you know, within property investry to be able to offer these opportunities because we have seen so many developers have come through and said, look, you know, we're we've been successfully developing. They've got a good track record, and you can see that just based on what they've done. But the banks won't lend them. You know, up to say maybe fifty or sixty percent LVR because they're on a commercial loan. Different story if it's residential. If you've just got a home and you know you need to just borrow against that, you can still get up to eighty percent. But um, when it comes to say development, it's a, it's a different ball game here. And a lot of times when they do come to us, it's it's usually you know an amount that is needed for a very short period of time. You know, maybe to finish off some engineering work or maybe just start on some part of the construction. And you know, it's only for like usually six months or so, and that's where I guess investors like myself and and let, are happy to be become private lenders because we can see that as long as there's equity in there, not not at the end, but at the point where we you know uh, get into the, the deal, and then we see there's an uplift in value that that gives us more assurance by the end of it that there's plenty of equity to be able to either get refinanced out from the first tier lender or you know get paid out through the sales depending on what stage it is at so i mean i could talk about an example that just recently came across the table and we're, we're still working through this deal at the moment but it is something that is a very interesting part we we were actually provided this deal in orange and the developers have purchased the land at 2.9 mil it's just rough figures and the valuation that came back um, just recently <laughs> in as of today's market it was around that 5 mil mark and this was only about 12 months ago that they purchased this property. Now, this property can be subdivided into quite a number of blocks and I guess at the end of this value of this particular block, they're able to get a final completion value once they're subdivided and sold all lots around about a valuation of about 22 mil. So for us, <laughs> for something like this, even if he's got it at 2.9 mil at the moment with an equity position of say an additional 2.1 mil of the $5 million value, even if we just lent them say mil, there's still so much equity in there. It, it For us, it just seemed like it was a no-brainer. And then you know, on top of that, even if he's got the DA approved, the valuer has come back and said, look, it'll be worth even more than the 5 mil and I think he quoted something like 10 mil. So apparently there is already a D on there and um, if we actually gone into this particular deal, the, the property would be worth about 10 mil based on a $2.9 million purchase. So those kind of deals do exist and it's just mind-boggling and I'm thinking, why am I not <laughs> aware of this one to buy ourselves? I'm thinking that would be great to do a deal like that. So yeah, it's fascinating just to be able to see that it is out there. It's just a matter of finding them and, and be able to work with those developers because this was brought to us by another lender who's um, or not a lender sorry a broker who's actually been working closely with them for many years and they've got good history with them so you know because of that we've got all the due diligence behind that and, and something like that you know can return anywhere between say 20-30% per annum you know if you, if you invest in that knowing that there's so much equity so if, if everything goes to custody as you said or things just go south we can literally take the property as is right now with the DA approval and sell it down for 10 mil and um, still get our money back with interest on top. So, so awesome. I mean, the, the deals that I do aren't quite that sexy. Um, that's, 
That's a sexy, sexy deal. But, you know, the thing is, I, I think what you're saying illustrates a point that there are diamonds out there to be found. The challenge that most Australians and New Zealanders have is you got to work so hard to find those kinds of deals. So the advantage of sitting on the lending side of the fence is you're not scrambling and fighting amongst other people to get those deals. You can kind of sit back and, and wait for the diamonds to come to you. Thank you to Selena Kilkarni, our guest on this special episode of Property Investory. And if you love the show and are ready to get serious about investing your money to get a low risk, high return, then SMS me your name and email address on 0499881040 to become a money partner. Right now, there are great opportunities in the property market and I'm looking for money partners who want to invest their money for a short 6 months. To register interest, text me your name and email address on 0499881040. Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros where the world's best players battle it out at the French Open for a chance to win a Grand Slam title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. See the action unfold as legends fight for glory and new rivalries emerge. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th with match replays on demand so you never miss a moment. From the first serve to the final point, Roland Garros promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens.